0: Greetings, New Hope Church. It is so good to see all of you on this sunny February morning. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Matthew, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and if you're a guest here today, we are really pleased that you're with us. Thank you. Welcome. For uh, your, be- your presence here really matters, and we're just delighted to connect with you. And I want to say to you, if you are a guest here... We have some friends right outside at our Welcome Center. They'd love to introduce themselves to you, get to know you and serve you in any way that we possibly can. So stop by there as soon as we're finished here and give them that opportunity. That would be a real, real uh, encouragement for all of us. If you are joining us online, I am delighted to connect with you as well. We're so thankful that we can be with you wherever you are right now. We know we have friends from far and wide. Welcome to New Hope Church here in the Minneapolis area. It's great to connect with you in the name of Jesus and to worship with you and to spend time in this love letter called the Bible. I am so grateful to join you guys in this effort. So you know what we uh, we can look back to last weekend and it was what Super Bowl weekend. One of the red teams won. That's what I understand, right? And then uh, and and then you and I might we might have a big debate if we were earnest enough about it, as to which of those commercials was the best of the commercials. You and I might have a debate if we spend our time at some coffee shop somewhere along the way, discerning which of the politicians out there right now is the one that we wish to support, which political platform is the one we want to get behind. You and I might have a debate as to whether or not there is still going to be some late spring major snow event, even this winter here in Minnesota, right? We might have debates about that. We can talk about that stuff all day long, and, uh, and, and we would not land on the same page. We might have a completely different views, different experiences to bring to bear. But what I want to do for a few moments is talk about something that's common for all of us, something all of us might agree is a problem or a concern or An experience. And that is the matter of criticism. And particularly what I'm going to tell you is unjust criticism. Unjust criticism. Every single one of us listening to my voice deal with it at some point in time. I do, you do. And even as I'm sharing it, I see heads nod around the room because right now you may be thinking about some situation with a family member or perhaps a colleague at your place of work or a classmate at your school. Or maybe there is some tension with the family that lives across the cul-de-sac from you or across the hall at the complex. All of us deal with unjust criticism of some kind at some point or another. And I absolutely think that today God wants to say something to you about this. And he wants to say something to me about this. Because God cares about these things. And listen, you've heard me say this so many times. Hear me. He cares deeply about you. He loves you so very, very much. So what we're going to do is we're going to explore today something about criticism. And we're going to acknowledge that it is hard, but you know what else we're going to acknowledge is it might be something that can be used to help us to grow as people, to grow as disciples and be conformed more fully unto the image of our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus. Now, thankfully, as God's people, we can look at God's uh, history as presented in the scriptures, and we see that criticism is not something that is uh, only for now but has been experienced uh, from time immemorial, and, and so therefore, we're not alone. We're not alone in this situation, this challenge. Uh, for example, we can look back in the ancient days. And we can see that a a, a man named Abel was murdered by his critical brother. We can fast forward to the life of a man named Job and see that his so-called friends sat with him and shredded him as he suffered. We can go further and follow the man named Moses And recognize uh, one great leader in the community named Korah who stood and opposed Moses in a very public way, only then later for Moses to be maligned by his own siblings with whom he was really close. We fast forward to the life of King David and we realize when we look at David's life that his father ignored him. His brothers jeered him. His son rebelled against him. And his best friend Ahithophel betrayed him. And then we go into the New Testament. And we look at an august figure such as the Apostle Paul. And we consider his very last words in his life. And we're stunned to discover that among his very last words were a reflection of a man named Alexander, of whom Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. And then there, of course, is our Lord and friend and Savior Jesus. He dealt with no end of unjust criticism. He received it from his family and the scriptures tell us of this. The gospel accounts are clear. He certainly received this from the religious elite who were undoubtedly threatened by his story, his message, his purpose. And of course there was betrayal. Not like or not unlike David of old, betrayal from a disciple and a friend, Judas Iscariot. And so unjust criticism is not something that only you experience. It's not something that we only deal with today in this era. It is something that goes all the way back, and it's something that is common to the people of God. Now, you'll notice, by the way, and I'm being very intentional about this, that I'm using the language of, quote, unjust criticism. Have you you heard that already? unjust disapproval, unjust criticism. There is such thing as unjust criticism. But the reason I'm working hard to word that rightly is because I I want you to know there is such a thing as criticism that is just. Now hear me, friends. There is criticism that is just. In fact, look here with me in front of you. If you're joining us online, you'll see it. And right here in the room, up here on the screens, consider this. Some criticism is legitimate. Did you know that? None of us is perfect. We all need to be teachable to receive with a discerning ear the critical observations that might be made over our lives and the things that we are doing. We need to be a people willing to hear what helps us to flourish. We need to be a people who are open to constructive feedback. Now, it's not always fun. It's not always easy. But we need to have a posture that's teachable. We have to have ears that discern, this is something I need to lean into. We need to be willing to ask ourselves, what is the truth embedded within this very hard word? truth that I need to receive so I can be a better human being, so I can choose better, work better, relate better, whatever the need is. And again, when we look at the Scriptures, we see these kinds of things play out. And so Jethro came alongside and counseled Moses. We see Nathan come along and rebuke David for his sin we see Paul confront Peter for his hypocrisy in a given moment of time there there is space for legitimate constructive criticism it is important it's necessary but hear me friend What we want to explore today largely is about unjust criticism, unjust disapproval, those things that are not likely from the heart of God, but from a different kind of posture, a posture that unchecked creates hurt, unchecked makes a mess. You see, unjust criticism can be evil, even if it's not intended to be. It can be demoralizing, disorienting, and exhausting. Now, the reason we're even bringing this up is because we're continuing our exploration through the book of Nehemiah. And we get to this point in the book of Nehemiah where we see criticism given unjustly and quite intensely. And so this exploration, this point in Nehemiah forces us to step back and, and sit in this reality and deal with it. Now I teased this out a little bit last weekend when we were in uh, Nehemiah chapters 2 and 3. Today we're looking Broadly at Nehemiah chapters 4 through 6. And here within these chapters, there is a concentrated and intense picture of unjust criticism given to Nehemiah and to the people of God. Now, I want to invite you to take time on your own, if you haven't already, to read through these chapters and and see what is there. But for our purposes today, I'm going to highlight the places, some of the places that are, most, uh, that are most in tune with our conversation here. And so you're going to see a number of verses here, and I want you just to listen carefully as I read them. And if I may ask, I want you to feel the, the angst of them, okay, as much as you can. Try to feel the angst with me as I read this. So here we go from Nehemiah chapter 4. It's a lot of words. I've told, It's a little long, so just bear with me here. Here we go. Now, by the way, uh, just to remind us, Nehemiah, I mean, the book of Nehemiah is like his memoirs. It's a journal. So it's in first person. He's writing what he has experienced, okay? So here we go. Now, when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. Time out just a minute. Uh, remember the reason they're building a wall is Nehemiah is a man who is well-positioned in the Persian king's court. And he got wind, he's a Jewish man, and he got wind that Jerusalem was a wreck. So he went to Jerusalem with the purpose of rallying the people to rebuild the infrastructure, to rebuild the wall. So that's what they're doing. They're building the wall. And Sambalot, it says here, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, oh yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. All right, let's go further here. But when Sambalot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the wall of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and notice this, to cause confusion within it. Here we go. Now, Nehemiah chapter 6. Now when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set the doors in place, Sambalot and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together at Hekapharim on the plain of Ono." But they intended to do me harm. Let's look further. Now here, by the way, just a little context. And Nehemiah is invited to to the home of a friend, a trusted friend, a man of some repute. You might think of him as the pillar of the church kind of guy. And Nehemiah, he, he goes to his home, and once he's there, he realizes, wait a minute, this isn't what it was presented to be. I'm being trapped here. For this purpose, this friend was hired, that I should be afraid and act in a certain way and sin so they could make a bad name. Make me a bad name in order to taunt me. And then also notice, we see this at the very end of chapter 6, the letters <laughs> that Nehemiah gets. Uh, it's not a new phenomenon. They didn't have email, but they, they, they were certainly prolific when it came to writing what they thought. They also spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. Okay, now that's a statement about what the king is hearing from Nehemiah's allies. But notice this, in the meanwhile, Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. And we can go on, but we'll stop right there. And what you see, I hope you feel some of the angst. Wait a minute. These guys are are coming together. They're angry. They're jeering. They're mocking. They're making fun. They're even trying to find ways to trip Nehemiah up so People can broadly question his integrity and his reputation. They're harassing him by by trying to trap him. Uh, They are trying to get him out in the middle of nowhere where they can uh, come against him. And they're sending just letters after letters to him, uh, demeaning him and demoralizing him. How many of you have ever gotten a bad email from a family member? I, I I see one person courageous enough to raise his hand. How many of you have ever been told off on social media, Facebook or something like that? All right. How many of you have gotten to an argument at the dining room table when it's supposed to be a family, sweet family holiday moment? Right? Yeah? Okay. (laughs) All right. How many of you showed up at work and you realize, oh my goodness, you could cut the tension with a knife and then you suddenly realize the knife's pointing at you? Yeah, we all, we've all had these kind of moments. We get this sort of thing. We get this sort of thing. It's hard. It's painful. A couple of things that stand out to me as I read through those passages. One is I want you to note with me the covert, the covert dynamic that is at play here. By covert, I mean it, it's not direct. It goes sideways. And so these characters are all talking amongst themselves here. Hey, did you know? Do you see what Nehemiah is doing? Do you see what those people are doing? I know, they've lost their minds. They're cray cray. In fact, if a fox walked on that wall, it would crumble. And let me tell you something gossip is insidious, it is evil. These folks are maligning Nehemiah and the people of God. And, and you know, great momentum gets built around even the slightest effort toward gossip. The slightest pejorative tone, gone sideways, starts to bear this bad fruit that weirdly begins to just take over the vineyard. Then everybody's fearful. And there's innuendo that That people are having to dance around and it it creates and we saw the word in the one of the verses there it creates confusion which is by the way one of satan's great tactics especially coming against god's people to create confusion well wait did, did did he say that is that what they think Oh, I don't know. I mean, it seems like, and then you just the, the conversations just take take on a power of their own. So we see this covert kind of effort, but then there's also an overt effort. There is a direct frontal assault. And so I, I referenced it there at the very end of chapter six. Nehemiah is getting these letters from some guy named Tobiah. But trust me, those aren't the only ones he's gotten. There are references to other letters. Uh, in 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 the chapters here, there's this concerted effort to just pound on the man, and and to just come at him critical as death by a thousand paper cuts. And it's not just the letters. It's like, hey, come let's let's come, come visit with us. And and Nehemiah keeps putting him off. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give you that energy. And they're like, no, come, come, let's gather over here in this place. And their intention, at the very least, is to utterly ridicule the man and gaslight him. Perhaps at the very most, it is to destroy him physically. And in that day and in that culture and that context, that might well be exactly a possible outcome. But then there's also the direct assault of, hey, we want you to come, and this is that, and we'll talk about it again here in a moment. We want you to come and be with your friend. And, and so he goes to be with his friend only to figure out that his friend's in cahoots with his, Nehemiah's enemies. And what they're uh, conniving to do is, is con Nehemiah into putting himself into a particular spot whereby so being, people will call his integrity into question. And this is direct It's overt. Now, a question for you might be this. How many of you, and you don't need to answer this really, but how many of you just in these past few days have been the brunt of some gossip? It hurts, doesn't it? It stings. How many of you have ever been in a situation, maybe even of late, where people that you want to trust, it turns out, are using the circumstances around you actually to undermine your credibility or to gaslight you spiritually or emotionally. here's a question. How many of you are contributing to the gossip? To the criticism? To the confusion? How many of you are party to those things that ultimately might undermine some person's reputation. Just things to think about. Now, a question arises, what might be behind unjust criticism? And one clear answer is the evil one, Satan. And I referenced him a moment ago. He foments confusion. He's a slanderer and a liar. And the Scriptures testify to this Jesus testifies to this. If we, however, think, okay, that's well and good. And it is well and good. It's true. So, okay, there you go. Let's establish that. But let us not have a, well, the devil made me do it, posture. We have to ask ourselves, what is our role? What might be The role of these people here, what's motivating them to be so ugly against Nehemiah, whose whole purpose is simply to honor God and rebuild God's city, Jerusalem, and to help the people flourish. I mean, what's wrong with that, right? Envy, I hear you, Leroy. That may well be. In fact, I've got three ideas, and I think envy's part of them. Here's here's the first one. Look here with me. What lies behind unjust criticism? Well, one might be a resistance to change. Change is extremely uncomfortable, and it's quite disorienting. And Sambalot and Tobias and the whole crowd, here what we need to know is, man, they they were the people that had the power and the reputation in Jerusalem and beyond. And everything was set just as they would want it. And now some guy's coming from Persia who's claiming to have a Jewish background and a calling from God. And he's rallying the people toward a cause that that they are interested in. And that is threatening, it's quite disorienting for them. So I think change is one of those things that makes us kind of buck up That's certainly what we see here in the text. Uh, Here's a second one. What lies behind unjust criticism? A reluctance to surrender power. And what happens is we can get such a tight grip on our thing. And we would never say this because we know, we're usually smart enough to know it's inappropriate, but we can get such a tight grip on our thing, we feel entitled to it, and here's the thing, Corey Ten Boom said this one time, if, you're, if you've got your grip on something, you're holding onto to it tightly, listen to me, look here, it really hurts when God has to start prying your fingers off of it. And some people, not only will they resist having anybody pry their fingers off of it, they will resist having God do so. That's mine, don't mess with it. And Sambalot and Tobias and the other, Geshem, the Arab, and the whole crowd. These folks, they were powerful. And all of a sudden, some yahoo from Persia shows up, and he's he's trying to cast a vision for something that's frankly better than what those guys are allowing. Something that's empowering to others. And the sad part is, if they could all just join together, everybody would flourish. But no, these guys had their platform, these guys had their power, and they're not going to share it. Now, here's a third thing. What lies behind unjust criticism? A refusal to respect differences. It might be cultural, it might be stylistic, it might be philosophical. It might relate to worldview. And so, well, and I've, I've, trust me, I've played into this so many times myself. Somebody's different than me. Their worldview looks different than mine. And so I start to criticize them, to take them apart. I might not ever do that publicly or even directly to them because I'm too hypocritical. I will be nice and southern gentlemanly to them. But meanwhile, I'm thinking they're an idiot because they don't think like I do. And I suspect that the reason there's enough of us chuckling as I say that is because there's enough of us going, yeah, I've been there, yep. right? And Sambalat in the crowd. This was, I mean, who, who's this guy coming along? He says he's Jewish, and I guess we can prove that. But but he's also Persian, and he's and what makes him think he can come and tell us how we're supposed to manage our infrastructure, and, and who gave him the authority to come along? Oh, the king did. Well, what does the king know? He doesn't even live here. The question might be, well, what would be Nehemiah's response to all this, and what could be ours? Ah, well, here we go. Look with me. So, Nehemiah prayed, and he pressed on. Now, if you and I were to consider Nehemiah chapter 4, I want you to notice this with me, verse 4. Five and six. Nehemiah says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. That's a prayer. Turn back their taunts on their heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Now, I'm not advocating that prayer. All right. Turn their taunts upon them might be fine. You might want to have a hard stop there. I mean, if you want them to be taken captive and drug away somewhere, you go ahead. God could do that. I don't doubt. But notice, so he prays, but then immediately in verse 6, he says, so we built the wall. And I really appreciate this. Here is Nehemiah dealing with the taunts of these uh, naysayers, and he prays, God, turn that back on them. Guys, let's keep going. Let's keep building. They built the wall. He just pressed on. Please hear me, friends. When people are critical unjustly of you, when they're coming at you, whether it's direct or indirectly, yeah, you wrestle with, okay, Lord, is there something you need me to see here? You talk to the Lord. You get on your face before God. But I just want to strongly encourage you, you press on. If you are working in good faith, if you are walking with Jesus and you are committed Really believe in you're about what he's called you to do. Whatever that is, in whatever sphere you find yourself, just press on. Don't give up. Don't back down. Okay? Go build that wall. All right, secondly, Nehemiah prayed and set good boundaries. All right, so if we look here in Nehemiah chapter 4, let's see here. I'd say, um, let's say verse 8. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. I read that a bit ago. Verse 9, so we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them. Notice he prayed, and then they set some boundaries. All right, you guys, you have your sword with you, and you stand watch. And you guys... You have your shovel with you, and you keep working on the, on the wall. And then when we get to lunch hour, we're going to switch. Okay? What Nehemiah did was he set up boundaries. He said, this is how we're going to respond. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're not going to do. This is how we will be vigilant. We're not going to let them scare us, but we're also not going to not be engaged here and pretend like there's not a problem. We're going to set boundaries. And in that case, the boundaries happen to be, a, as it were, a militia that they created to keep everybody safe, all right? And I, w- I wanted to say to you, when, when you're dealing with criticism, what do you do? You know what? Here's the deal. Uh, pray, and then you just have some good boundaries. What might those be? I will not listen to any email or read any email at night. I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just making this up, right, as I'm talking to you right now. Uh, i 'm going to pull all my social media off my phone so i not just don 't doom scrolling constantly and seeing all the trash that 's out there every moment, but then also the trash that might come my way What, what is the boundary for you i 'm no longer going to talk to that person or if I do, I will not do it alone or or you know what when we 're at our dining room table with our extended family. The new rule for now on is no politics. No Vikings, no politics. It all collapses in the end. All right, here's another one. Here's another one. Here we go. Nehemiah prayed and spoke truth when appropriate. And so if we look here in uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter uh, 6, we see this. Uh, he's, he's got these people coming at him, right? Um, you can read the previous uh, verses of uh, letters that are coming to him. There's this one guy that's taken this open letter, basically read into that. He's spreading the supposedly secret word to everybody to foment a lot of confusion and to turn the hearts of the people against Nehemiah. And they want to talk to Nehemiah about this. And, and challenge him on, on whatever they're accusing him of. And Nehemiah, I love this, verse 8, I sent word to them saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. Now, if you want a good Bible verse to respond to somebody, that one would be a good one. You're inventing this out of your own mind. Amen. But notice, he says the thing that needs to be said at that moment, but then... Notice this here, he starts to pray. They all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. He prayed and then he spoke truth. He spoke what needed to be said. Sometimes Nehemiah doesn't respond and sometimes, in fact, perhaps most of the time we should not either, but then sometimes it's that moment where you just need to say the thing. You're out of your mind or you're making this up or whatever it might be. All right, here's another one. Nehemiah prayed and kept his integrity. Now, I've already referenced this. So in the middle of chapter 6, there's this friend, Shemaiah, who who uh, invites Nehemiah, hey, come to my home. And, and he's one of those sage-type guys. And Nehemiah's thinking, oh, this, this will be good. And he goes only to discover Shemaiah has this scheme. He says, you know what, Nehemiah, how about you and I go down to the temple and, and let, let's go into the temple court there, and, and we'll talk to God, and we'll try to get this all settled before God. And Nehemiah's thinking, I'm not a priest. I'm not allowed to go into the temple. Now, understand, this is subtle, Because Nehemiah is also one of the leaders of the whole community. So one might make the case that if anybody's got authority to come and go, it's Nehemiah. He's like, wait a minute, though. God called me to build a wall, but he didn't call me to pretend I'm a priest and go where I can't go. And so, no, I'm not going to do that because the moment I show up in that space, you guys are all going to turn on me and say, look at him pretending to be a priest. Is Is he now wanting to take over everything? And so Nehemiah backed away and said, I'm not doing that. And according to the text here, uh, Nehemiah chapter 6, he says here, should I, such a man as I, do that? What man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And then he says, oh, my God, verse 14, remember these things. So he prayed, he kept his integrity. And that's a good word for you and me. Now, I want you to notice, do you see a theme in all of these responses? What is it? Anybody catch it? He prayed over and over and over again. He's praying. He's on his face before God. And I'm reminded of uh, prayers. You may wonder, how could I pray in a moment like that? Because I just don't have it within me. Psalm 55, Psalm 69, those are two right there. Psalm 55, David cries out, oh, if I had wings like a dove, I would fly far away. Why? Because we read later, he has been betrayed by his best friend, and he's hurting. And I love that point. He's pouring himself out about this, and then it says, but God, as if to say, all right, Lord, I've laid it all out. Now I'm going to trust you. And then there's some wonderful evening, morning, and noon. You're going to take care of me. Uh, king David, also in Psalm 69, I mean, he is, he's the king, and he's just taking it from all ends. He's got, he's got uh, you know, the rulers in the city gates are mocking him. The drunkards in the gutters are mocking him. He's getting it from everybody. And what does he say? I bear reproach for the house of the Lord. And he just cries out for help from God. So those are a couple of psalms that you might look at for language for you as you pray whenever you're being unjustly treated. Now, I want you to hear me, friends. This, this really matters, and it's so pertinent to every one of us, day in and day out. And we can learn from the likes of David. I just referenced his psalms. And from Nehemiah and how he's responding But there's no greater person from whom to learn than our Lord Jesus. And he teaches us, he says, turn the other cheek, love your enemies, pray for them. And that matters. And that has been really instructive for many of us, me included. But there's perhaps no more instructive moment than from the cross. According to Luke chapter 23, verse 34, we read this. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And all that you and I, in the face of criticism, however unjust it might be, would have the gentle heart of Jesus that just says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We can draw boundaries, we can keep our integrity, we can say the right thing, we can, we can press on. But if our heart isn't forgiving, they still own us. Did you hear that, church? And you may say, but pastor, I don't have what it takes to forgive. You don't understand the pain, how maligned I have been and how brutal the hurt is. And I probably don't, and I'm so sorry. But I know this. According to the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, that cross on which Jesus hung where he said, Father, forgive them, that cross, that is the embodiment of ultimate power right there. And Paul says that power that is at that cross is for you. It's a power for you to rise up and be like Christ. And in your moment of despair, say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Help me to have the heart of Jesus here. And so this Jesus, our blessed Savior who died on that cross, rose from the dead. You know, here's the thing. He, he, his death and his resurrection mean that sin and death and the devil no longer have the final word. But you know what else it means? Unjust, hear me. The work of Christ also means vile and unjust things also do not have the final word in your life. If you've been maligned, you've been unjustly treated, criticized, affronted, it hurts. But it's not the end of the story because Jesus Christ rules And he returns in triumphant glory, making all things new. Amen? Amen.